This is The Mud Peddlers, a podcast where two nerdy ceramic artists share the behind the scenes of their worlds of clay. We are your hosts, Lindsay M. Dillon. And I am Dante of Earth Nation. This week on The Mud Peddlers, we are, rather I am, and then you by association, dear listener, are getting a little lesson from Dante about glaze history. Yeah, so essentially, uh, I've been getting a lot, of, a lot of questions from my class about glazes, and I think what often happens is that I get a lot, because I teach an intermediate class, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I expect the people that come in there to know a certain set of skills. Yeah. And I've thought about this so much that I th- I think that most people think it's a linear. It's like A, B, C, it's beginner, intermediate, advanced. Right, But it's right. not. There's a certain amount of skills you kind of need to scaffold to the next level. And once you scaffold a couple levels, then you can... I think, kind of go off in a bunch of different directions. Yeah, go off in a bunch of different directions, but also not call yourself, but assume you're intermediate. You mm-hmm. know, like, so the students were having questions about glazes, and I think a lot of them want to make glazes, mm-hmm. but I, I'm like, first of all, you got to pay me for that. Second of all, I started to teach them more about glazes, mm-hmm. and I was like, what was the one thing that would probably blow their mind mm-hmm. if I told them about glazes? Something more, more of a, uh, like, an illusion thing, you know? Okay. We have lots of those in pottery. We're myths like, and illusions. Yeah, myths and illusions. We're like, you don't even know how far back this goes. Mm. Right? So I made a very small history of glazes presentation. And <gasps> Exciting. I, and I tried to hit all the popular ones. Okay. So for those of you who've never taken my class, because you don't live in my area probably, I get in the class, I set up a projector, a PowerPoint, and then I go, okay, here's 11 slides, and I'm going to go through these slides and we're going to talk about things. So the first slide that I just taught in my last class was a small history of popular glazes, starting with Shino. Oh, all right, let's get into it. Okay, let, let's start off with some little fun facts. Shino glazes were originally developed in Japan in the 16th century during the Momoyama period. Okay, okay. What, what, what years of the Momoyama period? The 16th century. Cool, okay. Traditionally made with 70 to 80% alumina and very high sodium feldspar. So this is something that uh, I don't know in this slide, mm-hmm. but I just I know from taking classes that Shino glazes usually have a very high amount of sodium in them, and sodium is is water soluble. As for most ingredients in glazes, are non water soluble. Right. As they should be. Okay. Oh yeah, because we've talked about this before with lithium. Yes. With lithium being water soluble, so it's not as efficient in glaze making. Yes. Okay. But what happens is if you put too much sodium in a glaze or like a glaze suspension, because it's really just mineral suspended in water, is what a glaze is. Mm-hmm. It ends up affecting other parts of the glaze, right? Okay. So traditional chinos usually have this kind of crawling and pitting and carbon trapping mm. effect and look to them. And it's because there's so much damn sodium in them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, they were usually wood fired in a stoneware. They were usually stoneware and they were usually fired in a wood kiln, right? A wood okay. fire kiln. Okay. The crazy thing. Wait, sorry. Cool question. Yeah. So stoneware. It's like our stoneware. Yeah. Like, okay. So not necessarily porcelain. Usually not porcelain. Usually not porcelain. Okay. Usually okay. Not. Just because I ask because sometimes people. I say I've... traditionally though. Yes. Okay. I just, I ask, because, like, sometimes I feel like I've heard people talk about porcelain as a type of stoneware, and so I just wasn't entirely sure for the purposes of this conversation if it included stoneware in this, but okay. So it was stoneware in the sense that it was not porcelain. There is a bit of, there is a bit of a nomenclature there where, like, some people will say porcelainous clay, and you assume it's porcelain, Mm -hmm. but really, like, B-Mix is a porcelain-like clay, Mm -hmm. but that's just to say it feels like porcelain, but Mm B-Mix is not porcelain. Right, it's porcelain-adjacent. It's a porcelain, yeah, it's as close as you can get, essentially, unless there's another clay that, you know, many of you know without me knowing about it. Porcelain is kind of like throwing B-Mix and no grog, and Mm -hmm. vice versa. They're very close, right? 
So going on with the Shinos, usually visuals of muted white breaking orange, blisters, crawling, and carbon trapping. I have another question. Yeah, what's up? I'm sorry, I got lots of questions. Yeah, no. So what exactly is carbon trapping? Like, I have a sense of what it means, but for myself and for our listeners, what is carbon trapping? I cannot explain the science behind it, but okay. to my knowledge, it just means that there's so many contaminants in the glaze and the clay mm -hmm. that often carbon is produced and it gets trapped somewhere in the clay or glaze body. Okay, so that, that does that mean that... I'm sure I'm wrong, though. I'm sure someone's going to be like, mm, actually, mm. but to my knowledge, it's just that carbon is produced from either the clay or glaze, and that creates defective wear, essentially, in the form of blisters, crawling, and a bunch oh, of other crap. Oh, okay, okay. Right? Some people look for it specifically. Yes. Some people over-sodium their glazes to make carbon trapping on purpose. Okay, okay. Because they like the aesthetic. Um, but usually it has like this very white breaking orange or orange breaking white, mm. traditionally fired at cone 10 reduction. Okay. And I think the first notes of it uh, from the Momoyama period were in a, a wood fire kiln. I think we're like the first time they found it or, mm. the, or the, like the most carbon dated one. Okay. Right. Here's the crazy thing. The way they being the like archaeologists who found this material. Well, they, they being the Japanese essentially. The oh, Japanese in the Momoyama yeah. period. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Right. So the crazy thing, and also it leaked into the Edo period, but that's a whole nother thing, right? So 16th and 17th century kind of blended together. Um, it's very difficult to get white breaking orange without some type of iron in your, in your clay that you mix in with the glaze. So you can only, you can't really get, the color orange without some form of like iron okay realistically so some of the minerals they dug in that time have bits of iron in it but they didn't know about it so they're mixing it oh. together right and they were like it turns orange sometimes oh. that's crazy but there's a tiny bit of iron in, in what i assume is their kaolin okay so that would be so the iron was coming from the clay and not necessarily other parts of the glaze yeah from what i can from what i researched i don't see that they were like, I added red iron oxide in my glaze. Oh. They just dug up minerals that had a bit of iron in it. Yes, yes. And okay. then they kind of figured it out from there. And that's a, that's like a very small history of Shinos, right? And then we went over to the Celadons, which are some of okay. my favorites. Right? Are we doing the, the history of all of them first and then the modern examples? Yes, we're going to do the okay. three histories and then we're going to do the modern examples. Cool, 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 cool. And please feel free to correct me on like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but make it part of a post. Don't message me. <laughs> Don't message me directly. Just make it part of a post and tag me and tag me with a picture and sources because I love that stuff. I love when I get corrected because then I get uh, a wider expanse of my knowledge. But if you just reform what I said as a correction, I'm just going to ignore you. <laughs> that car is not blue. It's actually lapis. I said, I said that. Yeah. You nerd. It's the same color. Um, so... Let's go over Celadons. Celadons originated in China, though the term is purely European. So when this oh. was developed, China, the Chinese did not call them Celadon. Mm. I do not, I cannot say what they called them, but okay. Celadon is a European uh, a nomenclature for, for this type, right? Yeah, interesting. Created in notable kilns such as, and I'm going to butcher this and I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so excited. Wait, I want to see right? what the words are. Longquan kiln in Jingdezhen province in the Shang and Zhao dynasties right 1600 bc to 1046 bc and okay. they, remember they carbon dated these bce right? before B common era yes thank you <laughs> not the other one you're thinking no, i'm sorry yeah <laughs> um right so here's the crazy thing about this is that this kiln is notable to this province of mm -hmm. china 
So a long time ago, they had huge, well, they still have them, mm-hmm. but they're huge kilns. And that was the kiln of the area for oh, that master, okay. for that person who produced that work from that kiln. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of shared it. But that kiln had like a spirit and it had its own thing. Oh, it would kind of no. be like if your kiln, like this work was produced in Lindsay's kiln. Oh, okay. And you've named your kiln, as many of us do. Uh-huh. And what's your kiln's name? Gotoku Neko. Okay, so. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It means it's it's a type of it's a type of supernatural cat from Japanese folklore. It's yeah, the, no, I get it's it. It's the magical cat that lights yeah. your hearth fire. Yes. So it's. It has to do with fire. I get it. It has to do with fire, and it's. I totally and it's get cats. it. Nerd. And my main kiln, my main kiln god is a cat. No, I totally its get it. Its name is Koshay. Right, but a lot of a lot of these kilns were either named after the Providence, or the yeah, the Providence, or they were given names, and then they would be the kiln of that Providence, okay. right, owned by a certain person. I'm, I'm sure Longquan is either the town that the it was in, mm-hmm. right, or Jingdezhen is the town, and Longquan is like the name of the kiln they gave it, or the area of the kiln. Okay. I'm not really sure which one realistically. I know what Jingdezhen, China is. Mm-hmm. It still exists. It's the porcelain capital of the world. Yeah, yeah. Celadon production later spread to other parts of East Asia, such as Japan and Korea. So they use it very heavily. Mm, okay. Right. So it can be found in China, Japan, and Korea, but it was, it is noted that it was first found in China. Okay, right? okay. The style stopped being produced as much, though, after the popular blue and white hand-painted work came into play. Oh, so we all yeah, know that, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we all know that, like, blue, like porcelain, blue, and white. Well, it doesn't have to be porcelain. It's, but we, but yeah. we tend to think of it as porcelain. We tend to think of it as porcelain, yeah. the blue and white, and that's when they figured out, like, oh, blue looks really good on white. Yeah. White clay bodies, right? And then I have a picture of that blue and white work on the oh, side, yeah, uh-huh, and it uh-huh. said, this killed Celadon, pretty much. <laughs> like, they just stopped liking Celadon as much. so interesting. But um, the thing that I want to note about Celadons is that they're usually kind of, you can usually see through them, right? They're very bright, right. very clear, usually this, usually this greenish, bluish kind of light tint to them, mm-hmm. kind of like a sea mm-hmm. green, but very, very light. Traditionally fired, again, at content reduction, often categorized by its translucent bluish green hue representing jade. Oh, so that's cool. You're going to start to notice uh, a trend of a lot of these more popular glazes being cone 10 reduction. And that's because all they had back then was cone 10 reduction. Mm-hmm. They were like, look, we know when the fire gets to a certain color, it's this temperature. Yeah. And we don't we don't call it cone 10, but that's it's, it's hot. Yeah. Okay, so it was the same thing with chinos. So chinos traditionally were cone 10 reduction. Traditionally. Okay. Yes, most of the older, uh, I would say, eastern glazes our cone 10 reduction. They really forwarded a lot of the glaze production that we see in today with our technology, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, even the Greco-Romans and the Greeks had, like, low fire wear. Yeah, Their yeah. stuff was not, well, not all of it, but a lot of their stuff was not cone 10. Uh-huh. When you look in a museum, like, ooh, it's so nice. You can't eat off that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that's not developed for cone 10. That's that somebody drew two pictures of a, two people in scraffito work doing it on a brown jar. <laughs> Yeah, they were roommates. They, yeah, <laughs> and then they put it on a, and then they put it in a museum, and that's all that is. But mm. it's, it's. Uh, I would be hard pressed to find some of the older work, uh, from like Greco-Roman times being fired as high as the Eastern yeah. pottery that, that would, we see that today. would be interesting to figure out. Maybe for you know, I don't know, part two of glaze history is going over some of the other areas of the world of early glazing. Dude, I love, I love uh, Grecian pottery, like old Grecian pottery. Mm-hmm. It was trash. It was... Oh my God. I, I love its style. I love the way it looks. I have no problem with it artistically, but functionally, like, it, was, it wasn't that we, strong. We talked about this last episode, actually, and I was like, well, but it held all their grain and it held all it their did, like, wine yeah. and stuff, and it worked, but anyway. It anyway. worked, yeah. That's, that's the difference is that with our technology today, we have, like, 
standards of what should be for safety. Yeah. But realistically, once you learn all that stuff, you're like, oh, but no one's really, like, dying, right? Like, no, no one's dying from craze work and semi-vitreous work that's, like, above or below 4%, you know. Hmm. Okay, so is it really a danger? Well, I mean, no. you did just smoke a pack of cigarettes, drink a Pepsi, and eat off of a spoon that's super absorbent that your grandmother passed down to you <laughs> after you chugged down a medium-rare steak, which is... <laughs> parts of a cow that's molded together from the carcass of a bean that we produce through machinery. But, you know, this is totally going to kill you. <laughs> this is, this is going to end your life. Did, did I just hear you say that cows are produced by machinery? They are. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm one of those guys. Oh, okay. Um, and then we have a bunch of picture of a bunch of celadons, right? And I had noted at the bottom right here, after I took a picture of these celadons, I said, you will probably only ever come in contact with a true celadon mm -hmm. for what I'm calling, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, a historically accurate cone 10 reduction based from that time period celadon mm -hmm. in a museum. Yeah. Is the probably yeah. the only time you will ever come in contact with an actual celadon, mm -hmm. right? Let's look at Tenmokus, some right. of my favorites, okay. right? Tenmokus are originated in China. I believe during the Tang Dynasty, there was some argument on this online, right? But it became really popular during the Song Dynasty, 1127 to 1272. Uh, Tenmokus are often known for their variability, which which is like their fancy way of saying that usually they have some type of black or blue background and they have some type of melty forefront to them. So when you look at mm. a lot of... Okay, yeah, yeah. Just like the Tenmoku gold that, that I have on Glazy. A lot of mm -hmm. Tenmokus usually have some type of... And you can see some of the pictures here, some type of black background. They look a little bit oil spotty and they look oh, a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah. like hair's fur. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you can really see them. The cool thing about Tenmokus is that most of them were used for uh, tea ceremonies, which I did not know. Oh. So a lot of them are made for tea ceremonies. Like a lot okay. of the traditional ones you find used as tea bowls. Raku. 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 Is... Everybody Raku. knows Raku. Everybody knows Raku. And uh, Raku is one of my favorite ones because it has the deepest history with someone who's still alive attached to it, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. So Raku is fired in between. You can do it at super low temperatures, usually at 06. Started, started by Tanaka Chujiro, right? He was the forebearer of the Raku family during the Momoyama period in the 16th century of Japan. Okay. The crazy thing is that... It was so hard to find this dude online uh -huh. because so much Japanese anime has made like effigies of him. Oh. They've made like, oh yeah, this is our new anime character, Chujiro. Or ah. And this, and so they did it as like an homage to him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I can't look up anything about the dude. <laughs> because it's all anime references. Because Bleach has like two of these dudes. Excellent. Love it. Right? Prized by Toyotomi Hideyoshi, a feudal lord. I always mess this dude's name up. I've been saying Hideyoshi forever, and I'm so sorry about it. I'm sure I'm super butchering this guy's name, right? But essentially, Hideyoshi found Shujiro and was like, I really like your work. <clears throat> uh, and I'm a feudal lord, which is like as close as you can get to like a mayor with a bit more power, to be mm, honest with you. Yes. Uh, you are going to produce work for only me. Mm. You're my potter now. Uh. Okay. Right? The dream, right? Yeah. And so he, he sealed and inscribed a lot of his work with this symbol right here. And you can see it on the screen. It looks oh. like a tiny little pot on top of a fire. Oh, okay, okay. Which is super cool, because when you when you go into a lot of the Japanese and Chinese uh, characteristics, mm -hmm. a lot of them just look like the thing they are. Like horse looks like a horse. Oh, that's cool. Right? And fire just looks like a little symbol for fire yeah. a lot of the times. Okay? And this symbol is the symbol for Raku, oh. right? And so was born the adopted name of the Raku family. So the Raku's family's last name is not Raku. 
Yes, at all. yes. They all have different names, if not for their forebears, right? But they're known as the Raku family because Hideyoshi essentially adopted them and was like, I am your patron. That's super cool. I know, right? I love that. I Like, there's a little part of me that wants to be like, oh, so he was just, here. he was their pottery sub because he just belonged to them. Why do you always make it like a sub thing? Because I always got a... That's it's just, not sexual. It's just I know that... it's not. I know it's not, but I've been reading too much fan fiction. Yeah, stay off AO3, man. No, nah, man, that's where I live. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Though. Okay, so he was basically like, you're only going to make... That you're go you're only yeah. gonna make pieces for me, yes. and all of your work has this symbol on it. The symbol is called Raku. Yes. Therefore, it's called Raku. Like the style is called Raku. Yes. And but Raku is just the essentially the name of the character that they signed their work with. Yes. Not the name of the family. Yes. Okay. So like you, so like a quick another quick example, right? Like you're a super powerful, famous person. Sweet. And you, and you find my work, and you go, I like your work a lot. Dante, I want you to be my pottery sub. And I want. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna make work for me. Yeah. And I'm gonna give you this little seal, and this is gonna denote the work that is made from you. Yes. Specifically, that of for me, especially, right? Yes. And I'm sure he. So it's like a brand almost, like like it's just like I'm just I'm well, for the pottery, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a little cute you little freak. Cute little pottery brand. Oh my god. You know what? I'm here to bring the humor today. My love. <laughs> But the symbol <laughs> itself, I guess, translates into Raku. That's okay. And so yeah. they were then known as the Raku family. Mm -hmm. The crazy thing is that I've been told this story over and over and over again, that the Raku family found a specific way of firing work that combined it with some type of poisonous material, and they started eating off of it. And a lot of them got sick and died. Oh. So when you look at the Raku family tree, uh -huh. you can see like it branches off into two different sectors, yeah. and then one sector just dies off. Mm. And you're like, yo, is that what happened? What happened? And the other sector just keeps on going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could not find the source for it, so oh. it is just Potter myth at this point. Okay, so it may not be. It may not be true. Yeah, it that's, may. That's it may not be true. Though. Yeah. In fact, my teacher, a very old Japanese man, <laughs> is the one who told me this story uh -huh. after he met somebody from the Raku family. And that's cool. He was like, but you don't ever mention this to them. It is don't don't talk about it to them. Oh, okay, okay. He's like, but it is. That is what That's happened. That's like a thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, cool. oh, okay. I have a quick question. So I, I and again, I haven't, I, I did not research before this episode, but I heard that the way that we do Raku today is largely based around a an American who took the traditional Raku technique, but then added his own twist onto it. That is partially true, and you can see it in this here. So okay. I actually have a picture. Um, I dressed it a tiny bit. So I have a picture of Japanese Raku from a long time ago, mm -hmm. and this is the more American version of it, right? Oh, okay. And, but it looks massively different from today. The techniques are completely different. Mm, interesting. Right? I mean, the firing techniques, not so much, but yeah, the, yeah. the way we do it now is completely different, right? You can see most of Chujiro's work, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say Chujiro, I'm so sorry. I'm butchering the name, I feel, right? Uh, most of Chujiro's work was produced uh, produced bowls of red or black entirely. Mm. So when you find a lot of his work and they excavate a lot of his work, it was just like a little black tea bowl. Oh, cool. Okay. Or a little red tea bowl, right? The Raku family still exists in Japan today. Oh. They are still alive. That's so cool. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry I butchered your name. <laughs> I would understand if you never talked to me again. I oh, yes. Totally get it. Because, you know, you had been in such close contact before. I hadn't, yeah. but no. <laughs> I went to Japan for like two months and it changed my life, man. Yeah, well, of course, of course. It yeah. makes sense that it would. 
Horsehair raccoon. Ah, yes. Horsehair is a method of decorating pottery through the application of horsehair and other dry carbonaceous material to the heated ware, specifically that of raccoon ware. Um, so essentially you fire it, you take it out while the pores are open and hot, and then you mm -hmm. put some type of carbonaceous carbon like material on it and it burns through and it keeps it in the pores, that pattern. Yes. So people use feathers, people use horsehair. The reason we use horsehair is because the other hairs don't work as much, pretty much. Yeah, the two, I remember asking about that because when I shaved my head uh, like years ago, I was like, oh, what if I just like saved this and did a raccoon firing? And they're like, meh, like human hair is a little bit too thin. Yes. Like horsehair has got the, uh, it's got more meatiness to it. It's thicker. It's thicker, thicker? and it's more yeah. brittle at the same time. Yeah. It like stands up a little more straight. Yeah. Uh, the crazy thing about it is that if you ever use human hair or like any other hair, it just smells bad. Yeah. Horsehair kind of smells good. Hmm. And I don't know why. Huh. So is uh, horsehair raku, is that also a traditional glazing technique or is that something that's newer? I don't know, actually. Oh. I have no idea. I know it's a thing, but I don't know if it was like developed in traditional China or yeah, Japan or yeah, Korea. Yeah. And then we came over here and took it from them. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, I do know, know, I do know that you can add colors to it, though. Which is crazy. Oh, yeah. So usually when you do horsehair, you would burnish the pot first with terrace gelata to mm -hmm. make it a more compact and shiny, shiny outside. And, and terrace gelata, for those who may not know, is essentially like, what's the simplest way to describe it? Like super, super fine slip? Yeah, I would say super, super fine slip, right? The, uh, the translation is like sealed earth, but realistically it's just... It's just like clay that seals the pottery. It's not sealed earth itself. Mm -hmm. Or like stamped earth is the translation, but it... It, realistically, it is just super fine or a very specific type of slip that is then rubbed with a rock so it becomes more formed, mm -hmm. like sealed. Compressed and shiny. Comp yeah, yeah, I don't know how to explain it without... But burnished, it's essentially burnished, right? You can add color to it. Mm. You can make red slip and black slip oh. and white slip. I mean, we guys little slips are already white, but yeah. <laughs> right, And it's super cool. I, I, I like it. Right, uh, burnishing is a treatment, by the way, to mm -hmm. pottery. So usually you add the slip after you throw it, it's in the greenware phase, and then you burnish it, and then it's fired. Then you fire, okay. Okay, we talk about matte glazes a little bit, mm -hmm. but I just wanted them to distinguish in between what a matte glaze is and the translucency versus like a shinier glaze or a high gloss or a more translucent glaze. Oh, okay. And I have a little graph over here explaining like how light bounces off of the surface of a matte glaze because of its crystalline structure. Mm. Technically, a matte glaze is technically 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 a crystal glaze okay but when you think about crystal glaze you don't think about matte glazes right right but it's basically a bunch of little crystals that gang up and mm -hmm. it makes it harder for light to pass through it so it, it kind of looks like a standard like solid color rather than a translucent you can yeah, see yeah yeah right okay and when you look at high gloss glazes or translucent glazes it's essentially the opposite light bounces off of it fairly well instead of dispersing mm -hmm. right and you can just see it more clearly. And it's way better, right? So I distinguish in between high gloss and glossy and translucent mm -hmm. and matte glazes. So and it's it's like instead of shining a bright light on a mirror, which is, you know, shines right back, it's a matte glaze would be more like shining a light on a white cloth because the cloth has so much texture to it that it's not really bouncing the light back the same way. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I don't no. know if that's like too much of a stretch of a no, comparison. I mean, that's, just... that's pretty close, but the main thing is that matte glazes just have like this super tiny crystal structure that doesn't allow either light to pass through it as well, mm -hmm. or it disperses light 
enough to where it doesn't reflect very well. Yeah, yeah. Unlike, not much like a mirror, like a mirror reflects it right back at you because right, of its structure. Right, right. And then you get translucent glazes, which just, their, their makeup is so that you can see through it better. And there's high gloss glazes, mm-hmm. right? And those just reflect light right back at you like a mirror. And their structure and the way their glazes are developed are such that the light just comes right back at you, much like a mirror, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we talk about oil spot glazes. Okay. Right, and hair's fur glazes, right? Wait, wait, wait. Oil spot is oil spot. Are these also traditional glazes? No, these are just popular glazes right now. Oh, okay, okay. Right, so oil spot glazes are very popular. But when you find them, you usually do not find them in singular bases. So you usually don't find them like, I made a oil spot glaze. This glaze makes oil spot all by itself. When a company sells you oil spot glaze, they usually give you a combination of glazes. Oh, interesting. Okay, so oil spot glazes are more like, like that is the name for Combos. the effect that you get of a certain glaze combo. Most of the time, yes. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, I have an oil spot glaze that is a singular glaze, but like it's nowhere near as mm. developed as somebody who has the perfect color. Like I have Lumos and Ron Roy's High Gloss Black. Okay. That makes an oil spot glaze for me. Oh. But I don't have a glaze that makes it by itself. Okay. Right, so it's usually companies are selling you a combination of these two things. Hair's fur glazes are kind of the same thing, except for one of them's a little looks a little bit more like hair's fur. Hair's fur, like hair like the rabbit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So name after. Interesting. There was actually a historical point to that. I just didn't go into it. Okay, okay. Right? And then we go to the final page. Okay, what's right? the final page? And the final page to my students was like, I just want y'all to know that the glazes that we have gone over today uh-huh. have... Nothing to do with the glazes that you can buy in store today. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so we're going over the basically how Shino and Tenmoku and Celadons. We talked about how they were, what they meant, and what they were historically. Yes. But this is the like, this is the modern what they mean. Not even, not even the modern what they mean. It's just they are completely different, and I think that a lot of people have this conception in their mind that like, oh, I have a real Celadon because mm-hmm. I went to the store and bought an Amico Celadon. And this Celadon is is equal to the traditional Celadon. Right. You know? It's it, it's not. Okay, explain me why they're different. Okay, firstly, it's not fired in cone 10. Secondly, we don't have the materials to create the real recipe for a lot of the jade-like Celadons from back then. Mm. We just have a way to facsimilate them. So we just okay. have enough technology to go, we made something glassy and green and jade-like. Hmm. We're going to call it Celadon. Yeah. Because we know, as a company, that potters know what Celadon looks like and melts like. Mm-hmm. And that it's usually translucent, or at least you can see through its high gloss. So, is there, is there like a trademark on Celadon? And they have a little meeting. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tim, is there a... No, it's not a trademark on Celadon. No, it's a cultural thing. Yeah, put Celadon on the bottle. Yeah! Bob? <laughs> Puts that on the bottle, and he's like, all right. And then Bob makes a base glaze, mm-hmm. right, that's Celadon type beat. Okay. And then he adds colors to it, and mm. so now there's a blue Celadon. Ah. And there's a green Celadon. There's a black Celadon. There's a yellow Celadon. But if you showed this to someone who's really into traditional Celadons, like mm-hmm. the history of them, they would be like, that's not Celadon. Yeah. A company is calling it Celadon because they want you to familiarize, your, they want you to familiarize yourself with how it looks and how it melts and like harkens back to the history of how celadons are really made. Mm-hmm. But that is, that is not an accurate celadon. Yeah. That probably fires at cone six. Celadon is cone 10. Yeah. Right. Like, and it is only cone 10. And then you're like, Oh, I bought a Shino. And they're like, no, you bought something that, that copies Shino. Yeah. In stores. That yeah. is cone 10. It is not, it doesn't survive in wood fire. It doesn't have the sodium amount that would make like carbon trapping and the blisters and whatnot. 
you bought something that is kind of whitish brown. Yeah. Which is okay. Like, no, I mean, again, like, I've totally, I like, I mean, it's been a while, but like, I've bought the, yes. like, and there, I think actually coyotes that I bought, like, I bought a coyote glaze celadon, but. There's coyote like, and Mako. Yeah, yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Amico. Yeah, they all sell versions of celadon like glazes and Shino like, like, I literally and have one. And... Yes, but I just, I think that the, there's nothing wrong with it, but I think that there's a large group of people in the world who especially initiates in the pottery culture and pottery world are like, this is what this is, right? Mm, mm -hmm. From like 900 years ago. And you're like, no, (laughs) that is not what it is. That is a company trying to make money by giving you the idea of what it was. Yeah. And they're, they're, we're using technology to kind of copy it so that you can apply it to your work. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully you, you make that kind of a, that kind of transition in your mind. Of like, oh, it's Celadon-like. Mm-hmm. Right? And then hopefully you learn a little bit more about Celadons. Yeah. yeah. Right? And how they have a really deep history and culture. Actually, this little presentation I made here, it took me like a day to make. And I, I felt so bad because I was like, this is not given mm. the proper respect it should be given. I well, that's so much. I mean, you could li- we could literally have a whole mini-series we could. talking about like, and if y'all want that, let us know. <laughs> Tag us. We'll do the research for it. I'm just going to make more classes, I guess. But, yeah. But at the same time... I, there's someone right now who's like, no, no, oh yeah, no, I'm using Shino, no, no, <laughs> right? And like even the potters of today who make their own glazes and put the glaze on glazy, like here's a big problem that we have with making glazes. Okay, is that once every like ten, heck, even five years, we run out of a material. Oh, right, yeah. and we run yeah. out of a material we can't use it anymore, so we have to kind of copy the material's chemistry or find mm-hmm. a different pit that has similar chemistry. Wasn't that the issue with, uh, what was it, like, Minspar? Kona Feldspar is a great one. Kona Feldspar. F4 Kona Feldspar is part of the original Randy's Red recipe that you find on Digital Fire. But, like, we can't have that anymore. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it doesn't exist most, most for most people anymore, right? So, like, we use Minspar 200 instead. Mm-hmm. And Minspar 200 is chemically close. Yeah. Even the oldest potter, though, swear it's not. Like, Yoshio, <laughs> Yoshio, my teacher, is like, it's not the same. Yeah. It is nowhere near the same, right? So what it would actually take to make a true celadon in yes. the sense that you're only using materials that were that they, that the folks who originally made it in the 1600s yes. would have would have made. Not only that, would have used. Not only that, companies under like you, we're not going to get a yeah, no, material. Yeah, yeah, no, like that's, I mean that'd be a really that would be a really interesting like doctoral prog- program or yes. doctoral like project to do or master's project to do. But create a time machine first, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, but just to try and get like as close to the original as you could without like Right. You know, time traveling. <laughs> and you do have to know that we're in like we're a very large society that demands these materials. Yeah. So like a lot of these these cities that you sell it on Chinos were like they were definitely villages and towns, but they were nowhere near the capacity that we are as a human race now, mm-hmm. with the technology and the amount of people we have. Mm-hmm. So like even if we could, it would be gone in like a year. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the pit that we would dig it out of would not last very long with yeah. the demand that we have for a real good base traditional celadon or whatever, 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 mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that's another reason why is your friendly reminder to if you, whether you are working with, you know, or talking about clay, whether you're talking about glazes, whether you're talking about water. What we have on this planet is finite resources, so respect the materials that you have and try and be yeah. as environmentally friendly as you can. Because... Try and be uh, as much of a self-sustaining potter as you can. Yeah. 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 Recycle your, I mean, recycle your clay. Yeah. And, like, don't waste your materials. 
Yeah. You know, and like to me, the the call the whole like carbon footprint thing is really the only main reason why I continue to recycle my glazes because well that and the money aspect of it because it you know saves you money, yeah. but the time investment is rough and it's it's yeah anyway that's a different conversation. I mean yeah it's it's totally a different conversation but like as a side note during the during the beer virus I don't want to get I don't we're not really monetized <laughs> the beer virus the beer, I call it you'll get it uh, but like. I didn't go to the clay store for like five months, mm-hmm. but I was pumping stuff out. Yeah. And I didn't run out because I know how to recycle my clay. Yes, I, I don't just throw my clay away. I had that happen too during the beer virus. There was a shortage of, or if I remember correctly, because God knows what a crazy time that was. But if I remember correctly, there was like a huge issue with people running out of clay. There wasn't B-Mix and I was fine because I yeah. had like 400, almost 500 pounds of recycled B-Mix. Oh God. That's the My even... arms were freaking buff yeah. with all that recycling I did. That's, that's the even more wild thing is that like you buy a 25 pound bag of clay and then you make stuff out of it. And if you're throwing away your clay, you're just like getting rid of the trim scrappings. You're probably really only buying 15 mm-hmm. 18 pounds of clay yeah and the rest of it you've trimmed unless you're real good at throwing the rest right. of it you've trimmed off yeah unless you either are real good at throwing or you don't trim mm-hmm. so like you're just losing money granted it doesn't really matter that much to your finances unless you're pugging for like a class of 20 but at the same time i do it for the culture and the environment mm-hmm. and also i don't want to waste money yeah. Going to the store and ordering more clay. And... For how much I end up recycling, it actually saves me. I feel like it saves me a decent... I, like, I haven't yeah. broken down the numbers, but I feel like it saves me some money. But... It saves me time, and it gives me yeah. so much money. Like, I make black clay now. I can't mm-hmm. do that if I don't recycle my clay. Yeah. Unless I want to wedge mason stain in forever. Like, mm-hmm. I just make it into slip, drill it, call it a day, recycle it. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, I, I just... At the end of the day, I wanted someone to have their bubble bursted. Ah, <laughs> little killjoy. <laughs> Are you telling me that the celadon that I'm buying that is black is not true historical celadon? Mm. Yeah, Steve. That's what I'm saying. So salty. <sighs> Are there, I, know, I think I remember we talked about Oribe. Is that something that you talk about as well? Or you know, you have information about? Or? I didn't do an Oribe okay, one. Okay, that'd be, that'd be an interesting one to, because I don't, I don't really know much about the Oribe. I don't know much about it either. I know that it's like, uh, a, a matte or a semi-matte green mm-hmm. but like I'm sure it would be the same story where I go okay your your yellow Oribe is not Oribe that they mm-hmm. <laughs> that they sold you yeah. from the company okay Oribe comes from this town probably in Japan or China mm-hmm. right it's originated here this is the person who was the forebearer of it yeah. right and they made it in this type of kiln in this providence probably at cone 10 and it probably came from here yeah right I think the last time I looked up Oribe it was closely tied in with the fashion of japan at the time oh where like a lot of them wore a lot of green and the fashion industry evidently like took over the name oribe so they would call things like this dress as like la 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 oribe but oh interesting do not quote me on that because i looked at that two years ago okay that's fair and it was like in a ceramics arts daily magazine oh i need i need to subscribe to them again i don't i'm tired of magazines bro that's fair I can't go on a Ceramics Arts Daily website without mm. them being like, want to buy 17 of our magazines? Ah. I'm like, no. And I click X, and then I move on to the next page. It's like, they're sure? You sure? Yeah. <laughs> I really don't they want to. They have good info. They have good info. Can we give you cookies? Oh, I'll take some cookies. So we could track you? Oh, oh not real information to other people? No. I'm like, money off your dumb little ass. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, well... For the sake of my brain, because that was a lot of information. I'm telling you. Can we go over Shino, Celadon, and Tenmoku? Can we go over 
the country of origin and the what century they were made in. Okay, let me pull it back up though. Okay. Because I just turned it off. Oh no! Your fault, honestly. Oh yeah. Okay, clearly, obviously, <laughs> definitely my fault. Your hand did that. Yeah. Okay, so we talk about Shino's. Shino. So the Shino glaze was developed in the 16th century, aka the 1500s, yes. in Japan. In the Momoyama period. Okay. Right? Let's go to the next one. And the thing that makes them Shino is traditionally that they have a high amount of sodium in the glaze body, pretty oh. much. And that's that's what makes all these flaws. Mm -hmm. And people like the flaws. That's, that's about it. Yeah. All right. And then we go to Celadons. Celadon yeah. from 1600 to the early 1000s BCE in China. Celadons. The cool thing about Celadons is that they could track it back to a specific kiln. It's super cool that they were like, oh, we 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 read, we know enough to know where it came from. Yeah. Like, the kiln that it came from. That is super cool. They're like, it's a very popular kiln in that province. Yeah. Like, we know exactly where it came from, right? Yeah. The, cool, the cooler thing about it is that it leaked into other parts of uh, Japan and Korea. So it was super popular for a super long time. Mm -hmm. And then once they got the blue and white porcelain, they were like, mm, celadons kind of suck. Yeah. Speaking I, of which, celadon is what the Europeans called this true. style. Not, Celadons are yeah. not a Chinese word. Yeah. And then we talk about tenmokus. Tenmokus from China from the 12th and 13th centuries. Yeah, so the cool thing is that they were technically developed in the Tang Dynasty, but they became popular during the Song Dynasty. Mm. Right? So people started to really mess with them during that dynasty in, uh, in China. I went over yeah. matte and, and like high gloss glazes because yeah. I was like, I, I don't think you guys know what that yeah, is. Yeah, no, no, no. I mostly just wanted to go over for for each uh, of the three, like the country of origin and the century again, just to, cause hearing, even hearing like the particular province names con confuses my brain sometimes. So I'm like, okay, all right. The even cooler well, thing is that a lot of those provinces are alive to, and they'll straight up be like, yeah, we developed that. Yeah, that was yeah. us, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we still, here's the, here's the wild thing. <laughs> here's the most wild thing, okay, right? Okay, okay. Is that like, I did a, like maybe in the four hours of research that I did for this, I found that there are like royal pottery families in Japan and China and mm. Korea. And I was talking to a pottery buddy of mine and he was like, imagine how much stuff you know, just from like your little 10 years of doing pottery well. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, they have family lineages of pottery knowledge. <sighs> so the shit that they know yeah. is not only secretive, but beyond your understanding oh for God. pottery. And it's probably not even scientific. They didn't take a chemistry class from the ceramics material workshop like mm -hmm. you did and learned all this stuff. They've just learned it from practicing it from like generations and generations and generations. And even if they can't explain the science behind it, they're so practiced that they know what happens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I watched a little documentary and there's a bunch of them like peeing in the reclaim. Bunch of do yeah. No, it's a thing. I promise you. Oh, I mean, I believe you. It's, but... And so like the family of potters, I don't remember if it was Japan or China. They were like, yeah, we, we pee in the reclaim. It's like we share. What does it do? I don't know. It's just spirit. It's just a cool. Oh. It might be a guy thing. That's cool, huh. though. Yeah. And they're know. like, yeah, we pee in the clay. Look it look it up. You think I'm... No, I trust you. Not I'm... you. I mean, the person listening oh, to this. Oh, yes, I'm yes. talking to this nerd on the microphone. Yeah, <laughs> you're a cool nerd. We like you. They're like, nah, that's cap. No, look it up. Mm. You're going to find you a YouTube video of somebody peeing in clay, and they're going to... It's going to be some BBC documentary. Mm. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's like a spiritual practice of, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Sh sure. That's neat. I'm gonna go home and look it up. Do it. Google, bring me men peeing in clay. Mmm. Yeah. Bring me a sneezing panda, YouTube. Sneezing panda? Right now. Okay. Thank you.
<laughs> and YouTube will do it. I believe it. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Mud Peddlers. We would love to hear from you. So if you want to share your thoughts about the episodes or just see what Dante and I are working on in our studios, come say hi. You can find links to my social media at lindsaymdillon.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, M as in monster, D-I-L-L-O-N.com. And you can visit my pottery shop or see what I'm working on at earthnationceramics.com. And you can find me all over social media at Earth Nation Ceramics. It's spelled exactly how you think it's spelled. And if you want to support the show, hear some bonus episodes, and see some behind the scenes of my work, you can support me and the show at patreon.com slash Dillon. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>